I'm Neil Wilkins, and welcome to The Mindful Living Show. So welcome to Negotiation Skills. This is Cambridge Marketing College's webinar series on personal and professional development, and I'm Neil Wilkins. It's been quite an interesting, well, very interesting uh, webinar series so far. We've been building um, elements, if you like, of uh, professional and personal skills and giving you a whole range of different techniques in the art of communication, uh, presentation, persuasion skills. And today's focus is all around negotiation. So this is a bit, a bit more of a deeper dive, if you like, into the subtleties and the, the dance, as I often call it, of negotiation. So I've got some techniques, I've got some ideas and things for you to play with. Um, we all do negotiation, whether we like it or not, whether we think we do or not. Um, we're all consistently and constantly negotiating in our everyday lives and kind of taking a few steps back and kind of figuring out how, either how good we are or areas that we can improve can really help the interrelationships um, and interactions that we have with others. So those are some of the things that we're going to be focusing on today. This is webinar five in the series, if you've been a regular attendee, and I know because of the feedback, we're getting quite a few of you coming along to these uh, on a fortnightly basis, which is the uh, frequency that we're running them. So thank you very much for coming along again. Um, you'll know the format that we have a little bit of a presentation, uh, and I'll kind of sort of tee the topic up, as it were, and uh, then we'll head to a Q&A, and Lauren will open up the, uh, the chat. Um, and we'll hopefully answer some of the questions or point you in the right direction uh, if you have any sort of burning questions or uh, feedback on any of the things that I cover here. So I'm not saying that this is the definitive, I'm not saying that this is an absolutely perfect um, format, if you like, for negotiation, but it's a perspective and hopefully um, it'll be some, some valuable little nuggets in here for you. Um, but do give us feedback, you know, that if you've come across particular techniques or models um, or just, you know, in practice when you've been doing some of these things, if you found some things work, some things don't, then certainly do share those with us because it's quite an interesting thing to get other people's um, perspectives, really. The upcoming uh, webinars as well in this series, on the 6th of August, we're focusing in on thought leadership. Now, for me personally, this is a really key one. Whether you're in business to consumer, business to business or not for profit, leading on a particular topic or subject and really being identified as a thought leader is a hugely powerful thing you can do both personally, but also professionally if you're representing a brand or an organization. So there's a lot of really, really great, powerful stuff in here. Uh, for thought leadership, either if you're looking to grow your business, you're looking to establish your brand, or you're literally looking just to cut through the noise. And that's really an extension on what we're looking at here today in this kind of negotiation, this kind of, you know, finding your kind of position in the world, either personally or professionally. Then on the 20th of August, we move to webinar seven, which is professional networking. It's kind of bundling together all of the things that we're talking about here. Um, in the series so far and actually taking it out into the big wide world, either on a face to face basis now that we've been released from captivity, as it were, and uh, all the various restrictions that we've faced recently. Um, or if we are, for lots of us, continuing to do networking online, either in um, online communities or working with our industry association or we're looking to establish ourselves in uh, new forums. 
So professional networking, both digitally and face-to-face, -face, is a hugely, hugely powerful topic. Um, so we'll be focusing on that. And then in webinar, webinar 8, as we move into September, and I can't believe we're moving into September, but webinar 8 is all about professionalism in marketing. And this is really about upping our game. And I put myself in this category. We can all do better. If you're working in any kind of business development, business growth, management, leadership, marketing, sales, customer service, customer support, any kind of customer-facing role, professionalism is absolutely everything. So we're going to look at how professional business people, how professionals really operate and get some real best practice and do some deep dives onto professionalism in our work. So that's a hugely powerful way of actually drawing together all of the threads of the topics that we've been covering. But today it's all about negotiation. And I don't want to fall into the trap here of, um, you know, I'm sure you've been attending lots of webinars uh, over uh, recent weeks and months. And, um, you know, the host um, often says, right, we're going to get to the point. And then 25 minutes later, they're still waffling. You'll know if you've been to any of these before, we like to get into the details straight away. This is not a big sales pitch or anything like that. I'm just literally sharing with you what's coming. So the key here is to really get into the topic and into the subject. So let's define what we mean by negotiation. It is different to communication. It's different to presentation. This is all about kind of setting an agenda, if you like, when you have conversations or when you engage with others. Often negotiation is a method for settling differences. So you aren't necessarily meeting on common ground. You're coming at something from a very different perspective, but you need to kind of establish um, a status quo. You need to establish some kind of balance with another person or with another group or another organization. This is negotiation. It's that kind of interactivity that we have to get to that balance, to get to that common ground. And the ideal scenario is we do this by reaching agreements. OK, it's not just a one thing. We're not just going to say, I'm going to negotiate. I want this. You want that. Let's negotiate. And I want to get the best deal. It's not about that at all. This is all about reaching compromise and agreement. OK, so as I always do in these sessions, I'm just going to really heavily focus on some of these really key words because I'd like you to focus and reflect on these afterwards. Compromise, key one there, and agreement. OK, so we'll see this as a little bit of a theme as we go through this session. Now, the ideal scenario here is that what we're trying to do, and as the definition shows, we're trying to avoid argument and dispute. Often, I think when people think of negotiators, they think, oh, people who are really tough, people who are going to really be assertive and really super confident. That's not negotiation. That's just being tough and being super assertive and potentially overconfident. Negotiation is all about the interactions and interrelationships as you go through a conversation to establish a best possible outcome for everybody. Okay, so you've got to obviously protect your interests. You've got to obviously get to a point where it's where it's all about you know establishing a position that's okay for you. But actually, what you need to be doing is making sure that you're establishing a position that's mutually beneficial. Because that is the way to create a relationship that is sustainable. You know, the worst negotiators are those who just think, hey, I'm in it for the deal. I'm going to close. Yeah, I'm a negotiator. But actually what they've done is they've left a, a trail of, of chaos and debris in their wake. 
That is not successful negotiation. Successful negotiation is leaving everybody feeling positive about the interaction. Okay, so it's about compromise and it's about agreement. So it's almost like we, for lots of us, have to kind of reframe it because negotiation has, has got a lot of kind of, for lots of people, negative connotations, particularly if you're not a necessarily um, very confident communicator. You know, maybe you're a little bit humble, maybe you're a little bit, I'm not going to use the word shy. You're sort of not um, particularly confident in terms of coming forward. So one of the key things here is to just be thinking, this is about compromise and agreement. It should be a pleasant interaction. So how does it actually feel to me? Well, one of the really key and important things for me is how negotiation feels. So it's kind of a head and a heart thing. So I often define negotiation as it feels like a verbal and nonverbal dance. Okay, so there's words in use here, and it's a bit of a dance, a bit of a trade, but it's also nonverbal. So when I'm negotiating, I'm constantly looking and sensing the nonverbal stuff. So the body language, the eye contact, how the other person kind of is appearing to me, and how that changes through the negotiation. So for me, it's a little bit like a dance, a nonverbal and verbal dance, where the dancers, me and the other person, we already know some of the steps. So we're already in a situational scenario where we're kind of pretty sort of comfortable with how things kind of look and there's a few techniques going on, but we're going to actually learn some stuff together. Now, the way I like to think of negotiation is that neither of us are ever going to be the same on the other side of the negotiation. So what we're actually doing, and this is a really key thing, what we're actually trying to do here is to get to a point and get to a scenario and a situation whereby it's kind of in a, a sort of a different kind of role, different kind of guys, where we're almost like we're different people on the other side of the communication. And to me, that's really interesting because this is all about continuously developing both in the interaction or the negotiation, but also afterwards when we reflect on how we did. So it is about learning because there's subtleties in this, as we're going to see in a minute, that can really help us to develop as communicators and also potentially as part of the negotiation, support others as well. So that's where it can get quite interesting. So let's have a little look here now at the profile of a great negotiator. What do we mean by somebody who's great at negotiating? Okay, well, there were some general principles that when people are very effective negotiators, and again, as I say, not leaving that trail of chaos behind them after the negotiation just by closing the deal, but really good relationship builders. And again, that's almost like in brackets after great negotiator. That's how I would define it. So what they do is they partially remove the other person's personality from the equation. So, yes, they still do feel empathy, they still do understand the other person's perspective, but it's not the overriding factor. So they're moving towards more of a thinking perspective than a feeling perspective. They also know their strengths, weaknesses and their style preferences. So if they are not a great presenter, for example, they know that. And so what they'll do is they'll play to their other strengths. They'll know that they've got strengths in particular areas, and maybe it is about the small talk at the start of the negotiation. Maybe that is a strength. Maybe they're just great storytellers or not. So they'll know. They'll have a, a really quite profound self-awareness 
before they go into the negotiation. They'll also read body language and carefully use their own as they go through the negotiation. So not only are they watching the other person, but they're using eye contact, they're using their position in their seat, they're using their arms and their hands and their level of expression, not just in a single way or through the negotiation, but they will ebb and flow as the conversation and as the negotiation develops. So they're very, very present. So I might kind of turn this um, great mindful negotiation because it is about being very present and aware and in the moment throughout the negotiation, which of course implies that you don't want negotiation to go on for too long because keeping focus at this kind of level is not an easy thing to do for anybody, even if you're well practiced. So we need to kind of you know, bear that in mind and we'll talk about timing in a moment. They also embrace conflict and they're very quick to forgive. You know, you are going to fall out briefly, hopefully, with the other person because, you know, this is an ebb and flow of communication and different perspectives and different needs and wants and desires. So embracing the fact that you aren't necessarily coming from common ground, but being very quick to forgive the other person and getting things moving forward again is a profile factor of a great negotiator. What they also do as well is they remember their leverage. They remember the things that they've got to trade with. Um, and it's okay in a negotiation to have lots of notes and refer to your notes. You know, people don't necessarily um, expect you as a negotiator to have everything committed to memory. You want to be actually focusing more on the subtleties of the relationship and less on the nuts and bolts of the detail. You can write those things down. So remembering the things that you can leverage is one of the profiles of a great negotiator. And really, really importantly on this list is a great negotiator will never, ever accept a bad deal. They'll always know that they can walk away. And by walking away, what we're not meaning is it's a never. It might just be a not now. OK, so feel that you might need to pause the negotiation. I mean, if it's going so wrong and you think, well, there's just no way I could ever bring this back. And actually, I don't want to do business or have a relationship with this person. So therefore, actually, I am walking away. As long as you've made a conscious balanced decision to do that, then that's fine. But when I'm talking about walking away from the negotiation, I'm probably saying not now. I'm probably not saying never. OK, so that's a subtle difference, but it does make a big, big difference. So those might be some of the things to think about in terms of, you know, kind of good practice. But let's start to think about how we would prefer prepare for a negotiation. OK, so kind of where do you begin? Well, it's all in the homework. You can't just jump into a negotiation reliant on your personal skills and think, hey, you know, I can sell anything to anybody or I can do a deal or I can close. I can influence people. I've been on all of Neil's webinars, so therefore I know everything. Of course, that is just simply not true. So we have to do significant preparation, deep dive preparation before we begin to negotiate. First thing we need to think about is, well, why does the other person actually want to make a deal? You know, what is it about this negotiation that is relevant to the other person? Let's make some notes here about, you know, why are they actually even going to sit in the same room or, you know, sit opposite me on the screen? You know, what is it that they want? Can I establish that before I go into the negotiation? I've also then got a balanced head and heart. So kind of things that I'm thinking about, but also things that I want emotionally from this negotiation. And again, make a list of them. 
If you're a mind maps person, draw a mind map. Also figure out what is my bargaining power? Okay, what things can I actually trade on? Now, there might be some things that are simply not negotiable. And this could be things that your organization tells you, you know, you literally are not able to trade on these. It's a black and white or it's a yes or a no. It's a, you can't trade on that. That's part of the deal. You have to have it. So contractually, there could be some things that you literally cannot trade on. So know what those things are but also decide what your trading factors are. What are those variables that potentially could be very useful to the other person that you don't mind trading or losing or giving away, but also knowing what you're not willing to do deals with and what you definitely want to be protecting. And put all these things into boxes, put all these things into different lists so you're really, really clear. So you don't just have this range of different factors. Each factor is weighted on its importance or its relevance or its tradability to you. Once you do that, a lot of clarity will appear in front of you. And from there, what you can do is to prepare your negotiation spectrum. So what do I mean by that? Well, there'll be an outcome from this negotiation. It might be a walk away, in which case it's very clear. But for most of us, there's going to be some kind of result here. So what I would always recommend that you do is put a draw a line and at one end of it, it's the worst acceptable case. In other words, if I was to do this deal, what would be the worst case that is actually still acceptable? So it's far from the best case. It's the worst acceptable case because that is your minimum deal making position. OK, so you've got to get to that hurdle before you do anything else. You've got to set this in advance. Don't do this within the meeting. Definitely don't because you're going to be focusing on other things. So do this in advance. And then also the other end of this line on this spectrum is put your best case outcome in a perfect scenario. If the other person was to agree to every one of your requests, demands, needs, wants, what would that look like? So somewhere on this spectrum is going to be what's going to happen. Unless, of course, you decide to walk away. So. If you've set those things, at least you know the context, at least you know the background, you know the setup of what you've got to play with. So it's going to get quite interesting from here onwards. And then do your deep homework about the other person, the individual, their organisation. Can you find out what kind of deals they've already done before? Um, if this is a personal negotiation, you know, how have you interacted or not with this other person before? And how have others interacted with this person? You know, what are their preferences, their strengths, their weaknesses? You know, what kind of interests do they have? What kind of common ground can you establish? So maybe you've got a specific interest that's you know, the same as theirs. Well, how does that look? You know, could you start you know, the conversation in that way? So do your deep homework. The more information and context you've got, the better. And also just remind yourself that you need to be willing to walk away. And even if you're making a very short list of all of these things, maybe you put at the bottom, be willing to walk away, because that is part of the negotiation process. So now you've got your list, you've got your spectrum, you've got what you're looking to achieve within um, the, uh, the context of this negotiation. And so now you are in front of the person. OK, so you're beginning to do the deal. You're beginning to do the dance, as I've described it. So the very first thing that you must do, and this is going to be an open uh, kind of conversation, you have to do this right at the very, very start, because this is important, 
is to set negotiation boundaries. So this will be um, the starting point, if you like, that you're coming from and that they're coming from. Inevitably, those things are going to be different. You know, you will have different interests and different motivations. You also need to agree the terms of engagement. That will include things like stuff that you can and can't talk about. If you're working under an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, for example, you've got to get that thing signed in advance. So actually agreeing the terms on which you are able and willing to both of you have a negotiation is really important because then you can comfortably settle into the conversation. You don't have to be guessing or making some assumptions. The worst thing is to be making assumptions. Okay. And set some mutually beneficial intentions. One of them, and it should apply to every single negotiation, must be the factor of time. How long do you have available for this negotiation? Set it in advance. The worst negotiations are those that drift, those that don't have a finite boundary. So agree in advance, or maybe well in advance as part of your preparation, if that's relevant and appropriate, set the time scale and any other intentions for this kind of ideal outcome, this win-win scenario that you're hoping to get. And be very aware as you go into this meeting or into this negotiation that there's a lot of research that says the vast amount of actual negotiation happens in the final stages of the negotiation. Uh, Meetingsnet.com have done some research on this and have come up with the statistic that says 90% of the negotiating happens in the last 10% of the time allotted. Now, of course, if you've set the time, you know when that's going to be. So you can then be very much on your guard and at your very best in that time slot. So you know that this is when the, the, the real deal is going to take place. You know when you're at the business end of this negotiation. The other people might think, oh, I'm going to get some quick wins in and this, that, and the other. And, yeah, I'm going to get some, some real benefits to my organization and blah, blah, blah. But you know the deal is not going to happen at that stage in the process. You know it's going to happen definitely in the second half, if not much deeper, into the negotiation. So by knowing that, you can then pre-plan the flow of the negotiation, and that's really important. So let's go into the negotiation then. So you've done your homework, you've set the scene, you've expand, set the expectations with the other person, now you are into the negotiation. So how do you guide the other person to an ideal outcome? Remember, this is the compromise, the win-win scenario. Well, one of the key tricks here, and everyone will say, oh, you've got to actively listen. Yeah, but what does that really mean? I know we've covered active listening um, in the communication skills um, webinar that we did, but actually, what does it mean in real practice? I mean, everybody claims, oh, I actively listen. Yeah, I'm a good listener. But actually, do they, do they actually prove it and show evidence? One of the things you can do in a negotiation, this is really, really good practice, is to replay what the other person is saying. Okay, And this has two psychological benefits. One is it will imprint into your subconscious how things are going and that you deeply understand where the other person is coming from. But the nice thing is at the same time, it embeds in the other person feelings of confidence and assertiveness coming from you. OK, so if you are replaying what they're saying and you need to do this without necessarily agreeing to the points, all you're doing is replaying just to show clarity that you understand their point of view. OK, so it's quite a simple technique to do, but it has profound benefits in terms of how the other person is perceiving you. 
when you actively listen as part of that kind of process, make sure you're asking open-ended questions, okay? So you don't wanna just get the yes, no answers because that's not really giving you some of these subtle clues that are um, really, really paramount importance within negotiation. So what you're looking to get here are open-ended answers, if you like. So a bit more of a flow from the other person. And ideally, the kind of questions that you're asking will challenge them to sort of give you glimpses, if not completely unveil their reasoning for kind of why they're in the negotiation, their needs, their wants, their point of view, and also their position. Kind of where are they then in this conversation? Are they kind of you know, feeling good that it's progressing in such a way that it's benefiting them? Is it not? What else could you possibly do to, you know, keep them, you know, on the guided route that you're taking them on? So actively listening through open-ended questioning is really, really important as you go through this kind of process of replaying what you're getting from them. And also when we talk about active listening, we're not just thinking about the words here, we're listening for feelings, okay? So we're acknowledging what they're not saying, we're acknowledging if you see any kind of uncomfortable movement in their seat, if you see that their eye contact is drifting from you and it's changed as you've gone through the meeting. I mean, we will be doing a webinar on body language and the subtleties of body language and the interesting part of body language within digital video conferencing communications. Um, that is a feature um, uh, topic in, in this um, upcoming webinar series. But it's really important to just see for the moment if you can pick up these subtleties from the other person. Because if you can find any frustrations or any time when maybe their attention is drifting, for example, you can begin to steer the conversation and maybe subtly play back the fact that, well, I've noticed that you, you wouldn't necessarily say this, but you, well, you might, it depends on the conversation, but that you've just noticed that they're not possibly getting quite what they would want from this and you subtly guide it maybe in a, in a slightly different direction. So there is the hard facts bit, there is the what they're saying, but then there's also the feeling, the more kind of empathic thing that we've talked about before. And as you go through this kind of trade, this dance that we're talking about, the ideal scenario, this step four in this kind of guiding to an, an ideal outcome, is that you make lots of little concessions. And this looks like you then are a very kind of giving, empathic, uh, thoughtful, caring, understanding, no less assertive, no less confident person. So I think a lot of people misinterpret this bit that, well, if I give, any, if I give anything away in the negotiation, well, that shows me in a, in a position of weakness. It absolutely doesn't. Because if these little concessions mean little to you, but actually gives them a lot of value, then you're really heading towards a win-win scenario. So this is where it gets super interesting. This is, again, the difference between a good negotiator and a great negotiator. Because great negotiators understand that I can give away a load of stuff, but I know that the stuff I'm giving away is only small to me, but big to them. That's why doing homework is really important, because if you're trying to do this on the fly in the negotiation, well, good luck with that, because you're not going to have time to actively listen or do your plan of what's coming next or watch the clock or lead the conversation. All of these things need to have been pre-planned as part of your homework. 
And so I think probably what you're seeing here is that we're kind of almost sort of re-engineering from a win-win scenario. So you've got the context, you're guiding this thing to this kind of desired ideal outcome, knowing that on the spectrum you're going to probably have to pull yourself back a little bit, or maybe not, but probably the likelihood is. So by reverse engineering from this kind of win-win scenario where you've given some concessions that are small to you but big to them, where you've kind of, you know what your ideal outcome is, that it allows you then to reset the clock and really have quite a tight discussion so that you avoid these kind of never-ending discussions where you think, oh, I'm going around in circles again. We've already talked about this. You're being super clear about the progress. And often we can do that by not really talking about the detail of the technicalities of features and benefits, you know, but actually talking about outcomes. You know, the best negotiations are when people are driven by using outcomes in the discussion, not the features of benefits, because that is a much more emotive thing that benefits both sides. The technicalities of, you know, this tick in this box or this tick in that box, that can come maybe at a later stage, because once you've got the outcomes established and you agree those, the rest is the easy bit. So it is about the context of actually what you're negotiating for and with. And it allows you to focus and shift the focus of what you are focusing on at any point in the conversation. So by focusing on outcomes and trying to draw, if the other person is very much a features and benefits person, they like the checklist. And can we work through this systematically? Well, that's not really the best style of negotiation. The best style of negotiation is where you're using conversation and the empathy with the other. So it allows you, if you're working towards this win-win, that potentially you've even agreed with them. You know, if you're working towards that position, then you can shift the focus slide on that conversation and that topic if you feel yourself drifting. And of course, the really key thing, and this is where the other person might need a bit of guiding, is that you need to avoid over-negotiation. Know when you've hit your point on the spectrum that you've got your win. Know when you've won in the negotiation. Now, I'm not saying you've got something over the other person, but knowing when you've collectively won. So avoid over-negotiating by just going back and revisiting old stuff. Maybe it's a point where you say, Do you know, I'm just going to stop at this point. This is, this is good enough now for this conversation. Maybe then we'll come back and we'll negotiate the fine detail at a later stage, or maybe if this is the fine detail, we're gonna kind of go through it within this time frame. So being really super clear and making sure that you aren't actually leading it, that's the key. Because whoever is leading the negotiation process tends to control where the negotiation ends. So entrepreneur.com have been very, very clear about this, and they're all about startups, building business, growth, super fast growth, investment, you know, negotiation city, I mean, really is. And entrepreneur.com say whoever controls the start of negotiations tends to control where they end. So always start negotiations, set the timing. You've got all the homework and you've done more background than the other person. You've done your research. You know the spectrum that you're aiming for. You know that target win-win. So you control the time scale too. Always start. Even if you think, well, technically it should be the other person because they've asked for the negotiation, they've asked for this meeting, but you've got to be ready. You can turn that around because otherwise they will control where this all ends. And I know if I was negotiating, I know which position I'd rather be in. 
So it is really, really exciting. Proactively leading a negotiation process is just, it's, it's exciting. It's a really exciting deep dive into your own communication skills, into, into relationship development, into how to present succinctly. All of those things that we've covered before, this is about using it to get an outcome. So it's not using it just to do those things, it's using it to get an outcome. So the negotiation process, in a nutshell, is six steps. It's about investing in the preparation. So do your homework, deep dive as far as you can. As you begin it, establish the common ground. If it's personal interest, that's great. If it's something professional, that's also really useful. Establish what you're both intending to get out of this. Um, and be open, potentially be more vulnerable in a positive way than you might sort of think is appropriate, because people love that. It isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of true strength. Vulnerability is a really interesting one. But knowing which things you're gonna be vulnerable with, Remembering it's not the big deal stuff because you're going to keep maybe those things close to your chest. It's the stuff that you're able to trade with. So knowing what those things are and share some alternatives. Always share alternatives in the light of these outcomes, not the checklist, not the features and benefits. It's about the outcomes. Remembering that the whole essence of negotiation is to close the deal. You've got your spectrum, you know your least preferred position that is acceptable, and you know your best case. See where you are on that spectrum and just have that at the back of your mind inside all of the time, because that is where you are in this negotiation. And once you've done the deal, close it. Close it quickly and effectively. Get the signature, get the actions, the next steps agreed. That is the key to this. You have to keep proactively moving this relationship forward. And then, um, have a post-mortem. This is something you might just want to do by yourself, for yourself, but actually looking at what happened, what could I have done differently, what I'd change next time. Continuous improvement in the art of negotiation is absolutely essential. There is no perfect negotiator. The very best negotiators are constantly challenging themselves to do better. So even if you've never been in a negotiation, maybe start with a, a lightweight one with a colleague or a friend or a member of your family or your partner. And just have a little play with some of these ideas and then do a post-mortem with them. How did I come across? How did you feel when you were sort of being presented to? You know, what did I say that made more sense to you? Um, was my body language, my body position, my eye contact appropriate? How did you feel as we went through this? What were the, the peaks and troughs, the, the good stuff, the negative stuff? Do the deep post-mortem and then make a list of things that you're going to do differently the next time. That is really, really important to do. And there is a single golden rule of negotiation. And at this point, I'm going to sort of leave you with this thought. And this is the really important one, which again backs up the whole idea of doing your homework. Never, ever, ever let a negotiation come down to one issue. Because by definition, then, there's a winner and a loser. So never let a negotiation come down to one issue. Because by definition, there's a winner and a loser. The ideal negotiations are when both sides, both parties win from their own perspectives. So that's really where we need to get this to. It isn't about winning. It's not about being super confident. It's not about getting something over on somebody else. 
everybody needs to win in a successful negotiation because this is a true way of building professional and personal relationships. Our first question is, is silence important in negotiation and how does it pay effective or how, sorry, let me start again. Um, is silence important in negotiation and how do you play effectively with it? Oh, I love the concept of silence. I, I think probably as I've become more confident as, as a human being, as I've got older and older, I'm really old, I'm really confident. Um, and I think it is about aging, kind of using the word wisdom with a small w, you realise that silence is so, so powerful. Um, it's for a whole host of different psychological reasons. I think certainly from a, I mean, let's talk about from a self perspective here. If you can use silence, and I do mean proper silence, that's not filling every moment in the negotiation with, with constant chatter. It's about proactively sitting there, maybe looking slightly thoughtful. Hopefully there are some thoughts going on in your mind as you're doing this, but maybe not. Maybe you actually fake it. So you sit there looking into the middle distance and looking quizzically in your face, sort of like, let me think about that just for a moment. And you're just quietly and actually thinking, I've got nothing going on in my mind right now, but they're going to think I'm thinking deeply about this. That could be quite useful. Um, so that's the one thing. Silence can be very powerful in terms of how you come across in terms of your confidence. The least confident people tend to chatter. Okay, and if you're not particularly confident as an individual, you probably find yourself doing that. But the most confident people are willing to use space. And I always think of you know, really strong presenters. Um, and one of the best public speakers, in my view, ever was Barack Obama. And he used to use silence in just, it was just dreamlike the way he used to use silence. And it would just keep the audience in the palm of the hand. And so that's what we're trying to do here from, from our perspective. And it does give you, if you're able to practice this, you use it for just maybe a second or two to start with, and then start to let silence be longer. And the longer it goes on, the better it feels. It can draw the conversation back in and focus. It can give you a lot more of a chance to breathe and settle down. And particularly if it's got a little bit heated, you can use silence to just you know, reconnect with the key outcomes that you're all focusing on. So that's from your own perspective. From the other person's perspective, silence is a really interesting thing. It can be used to, and I wouldn't say control, but let's say guide the other person. Because if they're very much a chatterbox and it's your chance to talk and your chance to speak, you can use the concept of silence to just kind of draw them in, just bring them back onto the, the pathway. They won't even realise necessarily, unless of course you sit there silent for a long time, but just using it for a couple of seconds, longer than maybe you normally would, because most of us jump straight back in with an answer, but just a brief pause from their perspective draws them back onto this guided line that you're taking them along. Okay, so there's a benefit to you, of doing it because it will give you a chance to settle and breathe and connect. But there's also a benefit to the other person because you will look assertive, confident, clear communicator, and really importantly, you'll look like you're engaged and thoughtful from their perspective, even if there's nothing going on in your head. Okay, the next question is, 
what do you do if negotiations break down? How can you pick it back up again? Yeah, and inevitably this is is an interesting one. I mean, I think that there are sort of two key reasons why it breaks down. One is that um, the interpersonal relationship just was not working. Okay, so you've got some choices there if that happens. Either you or the other person can replace yourself. I'm talking about particularly if this is in a business-to-business kind of interaction or negotiation. One or other or both of you could replace yourselves in that negotiation and that might be appropriate you know we're not designed to get on with everybody and then you know, there will be people you just don't get on with and you just find too hard to deal with and they might find the same back to you so i think it is interpersonal consider replacement on both sides now you might need to you know sort of you know, work very carefully and subtly um, and thoughtfully to be able to do that and choreograph that but that could be a route through if it's about, and often it's about the fine detail, this is often a way that things do break down. It tends to be later stages in a negotiation. You've agreed all the big stuff and then it falls down because of a tiny little detail. I think one of the ways of getting, a, um, getting it back on track is to actually do a really deep dive with the other person on that little detail. How important actually is that little detail? Could you remove it from the negotiation? Um, if it's no, it's actually a contractual thing that we are just not going to be able to deal with, deal with or we're not going to be able to agree on. Well, it probably is then time to walk away. You know, that walking away, then there will always be other opportunities, other organisations, other people, other businesses, other moments in time. This is never going to be a, oh, well, that was it. I'm never going to get an opportunity like this again. There will always be other opportunities, whatever scenario you're in. I mean, I've seen this happen enough to know that that is true. So to be comfortable in walking away, it's not a reflection on you failing in the negotiation. It's not a reflection on the relationship you might have with that organisation. It might just be a fine detail. But uncovering really that detail of where the negotiation broke down. Generally, it's, as I say, it's not the big things. The big things are often the easier ones to, to agree. It's when you get into the little minutiae of the, the tiny little details. So figure out actually if they're really needed. If they are needed and you can't agree, you walk away or let them walk away. But if it's something that you think, well, we could take that out and then we'd have a deal, take it out and then you've got a deal. We've got another question about um, negotiation breakdown. Um, so Claire's asking, what are the common reasons for this? What are a few tips on how to get things back on track? And how, and how might we deal with uncooperative people or worse, passive aggressive behaviour? Okay, so there's, well, that's a, thanks, Claire. There's um, about four or five different uh, really interesting questions in there. I want to deal um, sort of with the first one is, um, and I want to come back to the passive-aggressive um, behaviour because that's, that's a really interesting one. I think, as, as I mentioned before, one of the key things is to kind of identify through your homework what you're able and willing to give away. Okay, so one of the things um, when things do break down, as I say, it is about the small stuff often. So remembering your list of things that you are willing to concede on, you're willing to give these things away. You know, 
don't lose sight of that. And and try if you can, if you think this is getting a bit personal now, actually I want to get this back on track technically, but actually I really don't like this person, is try and take that out of the equation. You don't take it so far out of the equation that you lose the empathy of them and their position. You don't take it out of the equation so that you're not kind of watching their language, body language and some of the subtleties. But what you're doing is you're keeping that shift of focus light. Remember I said about that is you're really, really focusing back in. What are the outcomes here? What are the outcomes? Take personality equation. What are the outcomes? Can we negotiate on those rather than these fine little details? Where do we want to be? Can we kind of do that dance? And again, if you can't, you need to walk away. Simple as that. So the passive aggressive one is the really interesting one. We all face people who... You know, possibly we're going to have to kind of almost rise above and be the bigger person. This comes back to something we talked about in the um, the previous uh, persuasion webinar. If you haven't watched that one, this is a really good one um, to, to watch because at the very end of that one, I talked about the parent-child um, adult relationship. Okay, so if you're acting adult to adult in the negotiation, you're pretty much going to, you know, hit the right spot. You're going to hit the right mark. You're going to come out of this with a good deal. The passive aggressive often happens when the other party is trying to put you in a child position and they want to be the parent. So in other words, they want to dominate. So the trick and the thing that you're trying to do here, and if you haven't looked at parent-child, parent-adult-child theory, um, you can Google this and have a little read about it because it's probably a little bit of a, a long process to, to answer this in, in lots of detail now. But look, look this up because it's really useful for this passive-aggressive thing. What you're trying to do is move both of you, so you as the child, they put you in this child position, and them as you know, in this self-proclaimed you know, parent position, you want to bring them to the adult position and you want to move up from child to adult. OK, because in effect, what they're doing is they're talking down to you. They might be patronising you. They might be um, belittling you. They might say, well, I've got loads of experience here. And what do you know? This is your first negotiation kind of attitude. You're never going to really change that. But what you can do is you can play with it. And again, this is where we're looking at the outcomes. If you haven't done your homework, if you are on the defensive, the other party, if this is their tendency to negotiate like this, they'll instantly try and position themselves in the parent role. Okay, that's what they'll do because they know they've been able to bully and dominate others like this. You're already five or six steps ahead of them because you know they're doing that. So what you're doing is you're using the concept of outcomes. So you're talking outcomes, not the fine detail. You're talking about how are both of our worlds going to be better on the other side of a successful negotiation here. So you kind of you're playing a little bit of a game, you could say, but you're playing a game to make them feel as though they're getting what they want. But at the same time, you're subtly bringing yourself up to an adult. Because a child wouldn't do that. A parent would tell a child what to do in this model, I'm not saying normally, but a parent would tell a child what to do and the child would just go on and do it or would have a tantrum. That's kind of what happens. So what you're doing is you're using outcomes to bring your position in this hierarchy up to adult. And by doing that, you're giving the parent what they want. So they then start to settle into this. They start to focus on themselves. They start to think, oh, I'm getting quite a lot of this. You know what you're conceding or willing to concede, so you probably throw a few of those in. 
and suddenly you both realise you're both at the adult-adult situation, then the proper conversation can start because then you can start to do the trading and the deal because you've brought them down to the level that you are, but you've brought yourself up to a level and met kind of in the middle, really. So look at the parent-adult-child scenario. Just search that in Google and you'll find a lot more detail on kind of how you do that. But it's very, very powerful for dealing with those passive-aggressive or aggressive people. Okay, thank you. And the last question we have today is from Charlotte, and she's asking, are there any particular tips you would have for salary negotiations with an employer, please? That's a lovely question, really like that. And it also applies to people if you are pitching for work with a client um, or if you're looking to renegotiate a, um, a contract or something like that. It's all about evidence. It's absolutely always all about evidence. If you go in pleading, and I know because I've done this and I failed, I went in saying, oh, look, my colleague's got a company car in their, in their package. I don't. I'm doing lots of mileage and I go down to the beach every weekend. I need a company car. I didn't get a company car. Can you imagine? wonder why. Obviously, that was going to fail. But this was me naively thinking, well, yes, but it's all about me. It's what I need. I need a company car completely missing the point that actually my line manager at the time was thinking, yeah, but what value are you bringing to the business, Neil? What are you actually doing? Show me a portfolio, show me evidence of where you've given a great return on our investment in you. Because if you can show a 10 to 1 turnaround on the amount that we spend on you being in the business to the outputs that you give, which you can have a company car because it'll still make it probably 9 to 1 and that's still really valuable. So it's always about evidence. And again, with negotiation, this is so, so important. You use evidence as part of the fuel of the conversation. And if it's evidence of outcomes, not just I did this job, I spent this amount of time doing this, please pay me more. Look, aren't I great? This looks prettier than that person's work. It's not about that. It's what was the outcome? What did that lead to in terms of value for the organization or the individual? So everything needs to be based around a portfolio, based around evidence and based around true value. And that's why I've said probably the word outcome about 20 times over this last hour, because that is what this is all about. What's the outcome for the other person? It's not what's in it for you. They don't, need, they don't care about that. They want to know how is my life going to be different as a result of having a negotiation with you?